Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. You may be seated at home and here in the room. It's great to be with you. Thank you, Brian, Officer Vaughn, uh, for reading our scripture today. My name is Mike Moses. It's good to see some of you here in person. It's good to see your face. It's good to be with you. Uh, the vast majority of our church, you're continuing to worship online on your devices, and uh, it's great to be with you live at Lake Forest. We're uh, having the distinctive of worshiping live at 10 a.m. We think there's something dynamic about that, and who knows, I might totally mess up and we can't edit it. Uh, hey, you know what I thought in person? Uh, to those of you at home, you might be curious. I was like, you know what I bet? I bet like the first 60 or so people, that's about how many have come weekly here in person, I bet you they're all the people who worship like hands up in the air. I bet they're, those are the people who are like, I can't do that at home. I got to come be in the worship center. But I'm here to report to you. It's about the normal amount of people in person, the normal percent of people who are six guns to Jesus when they're singing, and the normal percent who are hands in pockets to Jesus while I'm singing. So it's about the same Lake Forest uh, that I know and love. Uh, I'm glad to see you're here. We're just doing two weeks. Uh, we're bridging into sort of the back to school, back to fall period when we're working hard to prepare a series on, on back to life. And what is that even? But these two weeks are act like a Christian. Today is out of Acts chapter 1. Tomorrow is out of Acts chapter 2. And today is... What is a Christian's life-sustaining vision, and how do I act like that? So when I say, hey, act like a Christian, oh, wait a minute, no, not that Christian that you're thinking about. This is kind of a stumbling block to you. Like, because when I say it that way, hey, act like a Christian, but not, not that one. You kind of have a get it factor. I heard it last week. And some of you have a, hey, that's my whole spiritual roadblock, get it factor. If a Christian is like that, I tried to be a Christian. I grew up as a Christian. My parents took me to church. I was down with that. But I see too many Christians who are hypocrites. So I'm not really traveling with Christians today. Let me put that on screen for you. Or I'm not sure anymore. Or I'm dabbling spiritually I can't fully commit because of that Christian or those group of Christians who are that way. By the way, we're going to have Q&A at the end of today's message for those who want to stick around. Uh, and you can yell them out in person or give them online. So let me answer. I see too many Christians who are hypocrites, so I gave it up. Let me answer kind of like this to you for a second. Got a deck of cards here. Mother Teresa. That's a pretty good answer. Martin Luther King Jr. He came up aces. <laughs> um, Billy Graham. He's the joker. I don't know why. <laughs> um, St. Francis of Assisi. Have you ever learned about his life? A beautiful Christian in a medieval period. 
rich man choosing to follow Jesus in a revolutionary way. And then if, you, if you're somebody saying this to me, and we're sitting in a coffee shop or my office or on Zoom, <laughs> more commonly right now, I'm going to pull out another card more than likely on you. I'm going to say, your mom, <clears throat> your dad, your sweet grandmama or your grandfather, who is the most integrous Christian you've ever seen. That's where I'm going to start that conversation. If this is your stumbling block. Who's the one person or group of people who most discourages you from thinking that your faith is true and authentic and real and true to who Jesus actually is for all time. And I want you to name that person. I want you to name that group if this is your hang-up, friends. Because there's power in secrecy and not naming it. And there's power in naming stuff and getting it out there. Because I think most of us have that person or that group that we need to name and get over it. And I'm going to tell you a biblical way to deal with this question. You ready? But probably nobody's ever told, given you permission before to say this, these words of Jesus. So we're going to quote Jesus. So would you stand with me at home and here? So stand with me. We're going to quote Jesus. I'll read the first part, then I'll tell you when to start using Jesus' words. I want you to say to that Christian right now, the way Jesus did, Jesus turned and said to Peter, let's all read together. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. <laughs> For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus dared say that to one of his close associates when his close associate was dissuading Jesus. He says, you're offending me because you have things of man first and not God. You, you may be seated. I'm giving you the freedom as a follower of Jesus to say those words of Jesus when a professing Christian's words or behavior are out of line with Jesus as you see it and his way. And when it's getting between you and a clear view of Jesus, I want you to use those words. And you may need to use them frequently, some of you. <laughs> so that you get your eyes back on Jesus. Just like Aaron so beautifully led us in. And once again, like Jesus, I love you. You're who I adore. And that Jesus who calls then for a daily decision to follow him with your life and not let some trifling, off-track Christian dissuade you from living your entire life seeking the pearl of great price. To know and love Jesus and love the world in his way and in his power. Now let me ask you another question. What makes you or me or you, if you're considering becoming a Christian, you're a spiritual explorer and you're worshiping with us online. We have people who've been worshiping with us online now who've never worshiped with us in person. And we look forward to the day you'll introduce yourself to me or others in person. We have people who've gone through Welcome 101 and joined our church who've only been online. And so if that's you, please follow through. And, and uh, the Welcome 101 class would be a great way for you to put first things first, even during a socially distanced pandemic. But, but if you're the person who stumbles over, man, there's too many hypocrites in the faith for me to be a Christian. Um, what, what, what makes you stumble? Especially in light of the fact, if you go to the text, 
Like ever since Jesus and then the Apostle Paul, one of the great leaders of the early church, our faith, they'll put this on screen, our faith has advertised itself as a hospital for sinners, not a cruise ship for saints. Are you shocked (laughs) when somebody who ain't acting right shows up in the fellowship? We're a faith that celebrates amazing grace for broken people. That means broken opinions, (laughs) broken causes as well. We're not a self-improvement course for successful people who've got it together to just become even more awesome. I mean, not that y'all aren't already awesome. I'm not trying to offend you personally, but you get it. It's in the original text, man. That's all through the Bible. And by the way, I brought my two longest-serving Bibles here. Um, They have served me well. You cannot grow in the way of Jesus without seriously engaging with the Bible. And I I just kind of, look how worn out this one is. This is my NIV study Bible. It is just, it's got papers in here from college. This is a Bible that was given to me. Oh, this is my NIV study Bible. I can't give it up. Given to me my mentor when I was in my 20s, 1986, and he wrote this. Dear Mike, my kindred brother in Christ. Forever I owe you the living springs of his love. For you are to me a living testimony that Jesus Christ is alive. May his word be eternal breath to your hungry soul. This is a mentor writing this to me when I was 20 years old. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the bread of life, living word, and high priest stoops to wash your feet, Mike. You are his holy possession. By proclamation of Calvary's spectacle, I love you. Your brother in Christ, Ken. I treasure this Bible. It's, <laughs> it's all worn out, but I'm not giving it up. We got to be people who are in God's word, who we soak in who Jesus is through his word. But this is in the, in the text. And so we read the text of our faith advertises itself this way. And so there are many reasons... Uh, and so we should understand this is who the fellowship is and be like, wow, this is the most multicultural, multilingual association of imperfect people in human history. And we're marked by leaning into grace, not polishing our trophies for perfect behavior or perfect political opinions in any given era of this world. And so there are many reasons that you or a friend may trip up over this fallacy that that person makes me stumble in my faith. And that could be an entire sermon of reasons why we stumble over that. But I'm going to dig in for the rest of the day into one reason. And I think it's this. And you can agree or disagree with me. I think you're more liable to stumble over somebody else not doing it right as a Christian if you are not living with the actual inspiring vision for your life that Jesus has given you. If you're not living for the vision Jesus gives to animate your life, you will lose interest in acting like a Christian, and you will allow others to cause you to lose interest. And you will be open to being dissuaded, sidelined, ineffective, and on the bench in your faith because of some trifling Christian who isn't getting it right. So let me say this clearly because this is our, our subject for the rest of our time. One reason we're susceptible to being dissuaded from our faith is when I don't live with Jesus' intended, sustaining daily vision for my life. What is Jesus' intended, daily, sustaining vision for my life? Because I need that. Every life becomes at times dull or workaday or ho-hum, especially housebound. 
And maybe for some people, our life becomes boring. People tell me that, that they're bored with their life. On the flip side, for some people, it's not boredom. It's like, how can I top the last vacation or, or the, con- the better concert or the resort we stay at in the, the Caribbean or the trip that we go on from the last one? And that's a treadmill of consuming experiences in life. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not a vision for living. It doesn't satisfy the soul. A human life is full when it is enlivened by the vision Jesus gave you in order to sustain your spirit in the middle of trials, in the middle of illness, in the middle of depression, in the middle of societal dis-ease, and the general ennui of life. Like when you do a home project like most people are doing right now, and you have to go back to Lowe's for the third time on Saturday. Like, okay, Lord, I believe you. It's a fallen world. Dang. The human spirit must have a vision in order to strive forward. You and I are meant to live our lives, work a job, love our people, all with a vision that animates the inner eye of our soul with delight and desire. God delights in you. He invites you to delight in life as you delight in him and live with his vision for your life. And Jesus delivers this vision. He delivers it many different ways in the scriptures. But he delivers it specifically in this important moment that was read for us earlier from Acts chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible open, open your Bible app or your your raggedy old paper Bible like mine to Acts chapter 1. And Jesus gives this. This is just after Jesus' resurrection, just before he ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father where he is now until the time has ripened for Jesus to return as he promised and make all things new. And so this is like a last instruction moment. And I'm going to hone in on just one of the verses that was read. Verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. If you've been here for more than a minute, you're familiar with this verse at Lake Forest. Where Jesus says to his disciples, if you're a disciple, he says it to you. He's saying this to you. No matter what age you are, we have children in here, we have teenagers in here, we have college students in here, we have grandparents in here. If you're a disciple of Jesus, this is Jesus saying this to you at your age, with your mask on and everything, in the front row. (laughs) Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That means a place you walk around and call home. In all Judea, that's like the Charlotte area, your region. In Samaria, that's when you happen to be around people different than you, ethnically, religiously, economically. And to the ends of the earth. Oh, he talking about everywhere. <laughs> everywhere we go. This vision is meant to delight and animate your life To be a witness for Jesus wherever you are in the power of the Holy Spirit. But this vision will not delight you. It will not animate you to be a witness for Jesus if you are not finding your highest joy in Jesus. As the one through whom all things were made and will be remade one day. 
This Jesus who God made, who became God, made flesh. This Jesus who communicates that God is love and demonstrates that God is love. If you do not delight in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then your vision of life will be lesser, smaller, and make your emotions and sense of destiny subservient to circumstances or subservient to merely human, selfish desires or tribal desires or familial allegiance as all in all unless you place your highest delight and desire on Jesus and accept this as the animating vision for your life set your sights on Jesus friends meet with him daily by reading God's word in the Bible and speaking back to him in conversational prayer he's there saying follow me he's there in your pandemic. The disciples were ecstatic at this moment to see Jesus risen from the dead, but he had already told them he was only going to stay for a while, so they they tried to clarify all this, and they asked him a life question. This is verse 6 of Acts 1. They gathered around him and said, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, Jesus had been telling them he was here, and he was all about the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom of God was him. And that the kingdom of God is wherever he is. And the kingdom of God is in you when you are in Christ. And they're like, oh, that kingdom thing you're talking about. Is this when you're going to do it like an earthly kingdom? And this question they asked reveals some of the wrong questions and conclusions they had that maybe you and I wrestle with. Because that word restore, are you going to restore the kingdom? They're like, you know, back in the good old days... Can you restore the good old days, Jesus? And the good old days for us as a race, the Jewish people at that moment, was back when King David was king. Man, we were the people with the power. We were the people with the money. We were the people in charge of stuff. Can you restore that, Jesus? They want that earthly kingdom to be restored. The glory days. And you remember... The disciples earlier had argued, who's going to sit at the right hand of power? Who's going to be the prime minister and secretary of state when Jesus takes power and restores the good old days when our people were on top of all the other people? As this is a mistake, they were hoping Jesus, and they're still asking him, to restore the glory days with them at the center. A second mistake they made is they thought Jesus' promises were going to happen to Israel only. Are you going to restore the kingdom too? Did you notice to whom? You can say it out loud in the room. To Israel, yeah, to Israel. They had an ethnic, an ethnocentric view of what God was doing. They thought this was still like in the Old Covenant when God worked to reveal himself primarily through one people group and nation state. And they were like, can we go back to that and put Jerusalem at the center and make our nation great? They don't have a heart for the nations. They don't understand yet what Jesus has been saying, that God loves the world, all the ethne. And and that Israel and the Jews have the great privilege to be the midwife to birth the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world, not just one people. They didn't have a heart for the world. They have a heart for their world, their people, and they want it at their time. Are you going to do it right now, Jesus? Sounds familiar to me. Apart from God's work in our lives, these are mistakes we can all trend toward a sin we can commit to use Jesus to build my kingdom 
of me personally or, or my family or my group. Very similar thing. Apart from the work of God's spirit, we all want to build the kingdom of self. The way whatever my personal glory day is. Uh, the kingdom of self is a good attraction because it's a good excuse to expend all of our time and our money and our resources on myself, my family. And this response, this misguided question is responded to by Jesus in verse 8, which I'll read again. Hear Jesus' vision for our life. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit is the key. It's the key. Keep in step and be a witness of Jesus. And if we're not in step with the Spirit, then we're going to live for a kingdom of self or a kingdom of tribe. But the disciples, they were like us. They were like, Jesus, is this when I get the stuff that's in it for me? And we're conflicted people. We want to live for something bigger than ourselves, but at the same time, we find ourselves living for ourselves to the exclusion of anything else. And then one day it dawns on us. For some people, it dawns on us in our 20s. For some in our 30s. Some people in their 60s. What have I been wasting my life on at the center of my existence? What have I been doing? I mean, work is good and relationships are good and that stuff is cool. But what am I really about? I've been exchanging something so valuable as the kingdom of God through Jesus for something feeble and weak in return at the center of my life. I want to wake up and go a different direction and live for something greater than myself. Let me spend a few more minutes and let's just break down this Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The sustaining vision for your life is, number one, it's a gift of God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Because you and I don't have the power in and of ourselves as a human being to womp up a vision for our life that will animate us for life. The Holy Spirit on you, that is gift. God is for you. God's grace is to give his Holy Spirit to you to animate your life in the direction of being a witness for Jesus. God is not here to drain you. He's here to gift you with life. And so the, the first word of getting Jesus' vision for your life is to wait on God and let him be for you in the Holy Spirit. Do you remember our sermon series on the Holy Spirit after Easter? Did you learn, have you been practicing how to walk in the, to, how to talk to the Holy Spirit regularly? Did you learn how to keep more, how to keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Have you, like me, fallen back into the bad habit of neglecting this third person of the Trinity whose role is to give you, to grace you with God's personal loving presence and power daily as you keep in step with the Holy Spirit by talking to the Holy Spirit constantly and you will grow in his power as you do. So the sustaining vision for your life is first, it's just a gift of God through the Holy Spirit. Are, are you opening your hands daily to receive it? Number two, a kingdom of God, the, the sustaining vision for your life is number two, a kingdom identity that supersedes human identities. He says you will be, 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 be. It's not who, what you do, it's who you be. Doing flows out of being. And so it's first and foremost about who you be, and it's gifted to you through the Holy Spirit. God is so generous to us. Who you be is who you is. 
identity in life is I'll be a witness. Once you have an encounter with Jesus, you are changed. When you hear finally Jesus' message breakthrough, God is for you. God loves you. No matter what you've done, how you've been broken by others, no matter what you will do, God forgives you through the sacrificial death and resurrection of his son Jesus. And now God adopts you as his beloved daughter or son in whom he is so well pleased. Friend, if you're a spiritual explorer or not a Christian, all you have to do is say yes. Right now, you are pre-forgiven and always loved. Step into that by trusting Jesus by faith as your Savior, as your God, as your friend. And Christian, that's who you be. Not just a recipient of God's love. You are that, but you be a witness to God's love in Christians. That's your, in Jesus, that's your identity. So number three. The sustaining vision for your life is, number three, depending on his power, living out your identity, the daily actions of a witness. You do what, who you be. Who you be is what you do, whether we know it or not. So be conscious, believe the truth of your identity in Christ, and then step into the actions that are congruent with that identity, which is to be a witness. It's been a long time, like a decade, since I've gone to an NBA game here in Charlotte. But over a decade ago, a friend gave me and my family so my boys could experience it, like third row seats went back when they were the Bobcats. And it wasn't just any old game. It was the first time that season that LeBron James was coming to town. I don't remember what team he was down with that year. Uh, but LeBron was coming. And you remember the phrase, what was the phrase when LeBron was, he hit ESPN as a high schooler and then he headed into the NBA? What was the phrase? I am a witness. I had the t-shirt for a while. You remember that? Like, I am a witness to this greatness. And, and I'm like, okay, we'll see. I'm going to go see this LeBron James in the third row. This was early in his career. And my gosh, I'm here to tell you, when it comes to LeBron James, I am a witness. Like, it could have been the staff of Lake Forest Church out on that court. It was super clear. LeBron would just be like, at any, any given trip down the court, he could just decide. I'm going to go ahead and score now. Whoosh. Like he was a man among children, a man among the staff of a white suburban church. That's what it looked like out there. Now, I did, I was me. I'm kind of, you don't want to be around your pastor. I might make you stumble like this sermon if you're with me at a sporting event. Um, he was the early adopter of wearing those, those athletic hose, you know, on your legs. And so I decided I was going to try to get in his head and at least remember me. So every time he came down the court to our little corner, I'd be like, pantyhose, pantyhose. And Angie and the boys were like, stop, Dad, stop that. You're so obnoxious. I'm like, it's a gift. It's a gift. Uh, I don't know if he remembers it or not, but I sure do. I am a witness to the greatness of LeBron James. So there's no lie. When you have glimpsed the greatness of Jesus, When you have tasted of the love of God, when you have been touched even a bit by the presence of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but be a witness. And this is our identity. And this is a sustaining vision for our life to delight us and to be an object of our desire that organizes everything else. 
What are the daily actions of a witness to Jesus? Because if my identity is centered in Jesus and I depend on the Holy Spirit, then my actions will seek to reflect his character, which overriding all scholars, even skeptical ones agree, is about love. Love is Jesus' radicalism among all and any world figures or other religions. The radicalism of love, which is blunt relational realism. It's different than the radicalism of any ideology, this radicalism of love that is Jesus. And it was not an idea. Jesus modeled it, lived it, laid down his life for us in love and taught us to love in the ordinary moments of life. And so we live out our vision of life to be a witness to Jesus in three specific ways of loving others. Number one, we witness to Jesus in words. Love because love says. Love says every now and then, when's the last time the words came out of your mouth? Jesus is Lord. God is love. What Aaron said so beautifully this morning, Jesus loves you. When have those words come out of your mouth toward your children, your roommate, your parents, your aging parents, your spouse, your grandchild, a friend? Love says. Love speaks Jesus into our friends and our family's lives, appropriate to the level of relationship. When I was 21 years old, one of my fraternity brothers was in a crisis in his life, and we were good friends. And he was like, Mike, I've appreciated that you've always accepted me, even though I'm often a butthead, and I live a lifestyle totally opposite of you as a Christian. But I'm coming to you because you accept me. Can you, can you help me talk through this problem I'm having in my life? I was young, and I was bold, and I just decided love says it. And I said, Rob, I got nothing for you in your crisis except this. Jesus, the God-man, he loves you. And I want you to know the joy of living life with him and for him. He's the answer to the question you're asking. Let me help you put your life in his trustworthy hands. And to my surprise, down to this day, Rob said, okay, that's what I need. <laughs> and he asked Jesus into his life that day. Because sometimes love says, where do you need to say and speak Jesus into? People that you love, people that you know. Second thing, to be a witness, love says and love does. How far can love go in ordinary life as part of your life, your animating vision to be a witness for Jesus daily? Love says it, but love does it. At least these couple of things. Love does forgive. This is different than the world. Reconciliation, Jesus says, with my friend or brother or sister comes before worship of God. <laughs> we forgive those who trespass against us as we've been forgiven our trespasses. It's the posture of love. When it comes to relationships, politics, protests, violence, we ourselves are dependent on God's forgiveness, so we pass it on. And it transforms the way Jesus' forgiveness transformed those few and has transformed me. With no limits, Jesus said 70 times 7, you keep on forgiving. The other person is no longer subject to my judgment because we are both subject to God's judgment, and God forgives freely. 
Therefore, love does forgive. What else does love do? In the way of Jesus, love serves, including serving by calling out societal inequity and serving to change it. Even if society's kind of working for me and my people, I'm going to serve the groups of people for whom it's not been working. Love serves through humility, having the courage to serve. That's the way to true greatness, Jesus says. You and I are witnesses to Jesus when we are obviously humble and willing to serve. Where in life are you regarded? I bet a lot of you, I know a lot of you like forest people, you're pretty accomplished somewhere in your life. A lot of you teenagers, it, it may be sports, it may be academics, it may be something. Uh, it may be gaming. There's some part of your life where you're probably, people are like, hey, that's a cool person. They're accomplished. They have reputation. And that part of your life is where people are watching and you are called to do love does by serving. Take the role of a servant. Take the posture of humility and people will think it's remarkable. And then if love says Jesus loves you, it, it's a witness to Jesus. Now, there's a third thing that love does that's even more distinctive of Jesus, to, and it's if we want to be a witness to Jesus, and that's the way of suffering. Love says love does, but love also dies. We follow Jesus, who said, unless you take up your cross and die to yourself, you cannot follow me. And greater love has no one than this that they lay down their life for their friends. The next time you feel, let's put this on screen, love dies. The next time you feel discouraged in your faith because of the difference between a Christian's words and deeds, fix your eyes again on Jesus, the only perfectly integrity-filled human being whose love said and did by willfully dying a sacrificial death to atone for your sins and the sins of the world. There was no daylight between Jesus' words and actions when he died on our behalf. The saints of old call this for you and me renunciation. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus leads us to live a life of renunciation. Yes, renouncing sin and it's all of its ways, negative things. But he says, and he says stridently, cut off your hand even to avoid sin. But he also leads us to love by renouncing positive things, rights, power, control of our resources. We're all suffering during the pandemic. We're suffering it, it, with the uncertainty in society. And we can suffer like a pagan and complain, blame, scapegoat, and despair. That's living as a witness to me and my personal pity party and injury that's happening to me right now. Or we can suffer like Jesus redemptively. Not my will, but thy will be done. Holy Spirit, show me how to love others through my suffering that is painful in a way that is redemptive in my life and theirs. Because love says and does and love dies and suffers in ways that are redemptive for others. So followers of Jesus, does your kid or your spouse or your friend or your roommate observe you proclaiming, saying Jesus regularly, speaking it into their life? doing acts of servanthood and forgiveness and, and dying to self, suffering because you're willing to live for him and against the grain. Acts 1.8, Jesus says where we're to live, animated by this sustaining vision, in Judea, Samaria, we'll put it on screen one more time, and all the ends of the earth. It's just wherever you will go, wherever you are, 
which most of us are stuck in Jerusalem right now. So let's finish. This is actionable in many ways. Would you take out that little piece of paper that Susan asked you to have and a, and a pen? You guys here weren't prepared for that, but those of you at home, see, you got an advantage. A little piece of paper. Who is your one more person, Lake Forest? I ask you this twice a year. To make your life vision as a witness for Jesus actionable daily, I want you to write a name before I finish praying. Who is your one more person who's given up on church but not on God? Who you're called to prefer and love by saying, doing, and dying on their behalf. You're going to prefer them. It might be that child you've adopted in one of our sponsored orphanages in Bolivia, in Honduras, in India. You're going to up your game of being a witness for Jesus in their life. It might be somebody who walks in and you're serving them as you volunteer with one of our partner missions, Caterpillar Ministries, Charlotte Rescue Mission. It might be you realize I don't have any active way. I'm actually serving people, the least or the lost. I need to step up and volunteer with one of our partner missions. Maybe you write down the name of that mission so you can serve people there who are in need. But for all of us, who is one name? I want you to write down right now, and I'm about to write mine down. One person in your life who's given up on church but not on God. They do not know the love of God, the friendship of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And you're called to prefer them in love and time, in feasting, in fun, and an invitation to conversation about life. Who's that person? Write it down, please. Stick it in your pocket, your dashboard. I'm reaching out to my one more person today or tomorrow. I needed to be asked this question by my pastor to re-up Jesus' animating life vision for my life to be his witness in word, in deed, and in suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good. Lord, for all of us, we love you. And God, we repent of any way in which any of us have let an imperfect human being dissuade us from setting our sights on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We repent of that now, and we re-up. The purpose of our life is to live on your vision for our life to be your witness. Lord, we will not be dissuaded by other people getting it wrong. We will not be, we will not opt out because all the people in our fellowship are not perfect. We will not let a paltry human being de delay us from living on this vision that animates our life, Jesus. We want to live as a witness to you and to your great love for everyone who crosses our path. May we do so. In the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.